Issachar was the ninth out of 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob was the beginning of Israel. God changed his name to Israel, and therefore the nation of Israel began. And so I can only imagine being number nine out of 12 sons. If any of you are a part of a large family, can you imagine what that would be like? It's probably a whole lot of hand-me-downs, right? Yeah. So anyway, Issachar was kind of right there in the middle. Um, but Issachar and his descendants, which is why we titled this the Sons of Issachar, they, they were known um, and very reputable in the nation of Israel. We read in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 12.32 last week, that the, they were men who understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. They were men of wisdom and they had influence in their country and in their land. The Bible tells us that they were able to discern uh, harvest times and planting times, seasons, and things like that. And this was in a day before there were clocks and watches and calendars. So that's a big deal to be able to discern when it's time to plant and when it's time to harvest. And so all of the other tribes of Israel, they would come to the sons of Issachar and they would say, when do we plant and when do we harvest? And, and they would be able to share that information with them. Because of that uh, ability to be able to discern seasons and days, they were also able to know when it was time for the feast, when it was time for the festivals, when it was time to come and worship. And so the nation of Israel relied on the sons of Issachar to be able to call them up to those important times throughout the year so they could remember what God did and have rest and celebrate. And so they were highly sought after for that. We also see that they were able to discern what God was doing in the season and in the generation that they were in. We see an example with when King David was being instilled into the throne that all of the other 11 tribes, that they were kind of divided on if they supported David or if they supported King Saul. But the Bible tells us with the sons of Issachar that they were united in supporting King David. So they were people who knew what God was up to and knew what God was wanting to do, and they came together in unity to align with God's plan for the nation of Israel. And we believe that this is important because we feel like it's a picture of how the church should be today. Amen? We should be a people that are filled with the wisdom of God, that we can discern what God is doing. When there's chaos all around, that we know how God wants to move in that situation and that we're able to share that with the world around us. We want to be a people that are sought after for influence. Amen? Amen. So as I'm going through this message today, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I being led by the wisdom of God? Am I being an influencer for God in the situation that I am in and in the world around me? Because we are all called to be that if we are children of God. Before we get started, let's pray. Dear Father God, I thank you that your heart and your desire for us is to be filled with your wisdom. Lord God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts today and you would increase our hunger to pursue you more, 
to seek more wisdom, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to be able to hear what you have to say to us. Move freely, Lord God, in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, for part two of this uh, message series, I want to talk with you about pursuing wisdom. The next few weeks are going to be how we grow in wisdom, and so Pastor Matt will be back here um, next week to do part three. But today, and I believe where we need to begin, is we have to pursue wisdom. Anything that we want to be good at, anything that we want to grow in, we have to seek after it, right? We have to invest time to get better at it. And this isn't a casual pursuit. This isn't like, uh, if I find time, then I'll pursue wisdom, because typically that time is never going to come. We have to pursue wisdom as if it's our highest priority, saying no to things and, and shifting our life so that we can make it a priority. If we read in Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The writer of Proverbs is painting a picture for us of what a pursuit of wisdom should look like. If we see this, it's saying value wisdom like silver and like a hidden treasure. And so if I told you outside there is a hidden treasure full of priceless jewels that will change your situation and your family's situation for generations, you just got to dig it up and it's yours, what would your pursuit of that look like? Would you do it after work tomorrow? Would you, would you maybe do it after dinner? No, you would, you would cancel everything, right? You would go after that. I probably wouldn't be able to get the words out of my mouth before you're charging out the door to try to find it. But that's what the Bible is telling us, that wisdom is like a hidden treasure. It will change your life forever. It will change generations in your bloodline if you pursue it and if you find it. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wisdom comes from God. He is the source of all wisdom. Amen? So to find wisdom, we have to pursue God. But the Bible tells us that if we pursue God, that he will draw near to us. It tells us to seek and we will find. And so if we draw near to God, if we seek him, then we will find him. If we seek wisdom, then we will find it. This isn't like a, a tease that God does that says, come and try to find it somewhere. He's letting us know that I will pour wisdom into your heart. I will fill you with wisdom if you pursue it and if you pursue me. God's commitment to our free will is so much so that even though he desires us to be near him, he desires a close relationship with us, that he leaves it in our hands to pursue. We have to go after God, but there is a promise that we will find him if we do. Proverbs 8, verses 1 through 3 
says, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. Wisdom is crying out for us to pursue it. Wisdom is saying, here I am, come after me and you will find me. In Psalm 14, 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand and seek after God. He's searching for his children to seek after him. He's looking for those who will pursue him so he can fill them with wisdom. Why is pursuing wisdom so important? The Bible tells us that wisdom is a guard to us. It says that wisdom will produce prosperity, that it'll produce provision, that it'll produce health in our life. It'll keep us from harm and on the path that God has for us. We should pursue wisdom as a highest priority. In Proverbs 9 verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There are many Christians who they love God. They, they want him to be their savior, but they, they don't necessarily respect him. And that is possible to do. I'm sure there's people that you know that you love, but you don't value their opinion. Their, their opinion is not going to change the way you live, right? And unfortunately, sometimes as Christians, we live this way. We want all the good things of God, but we don't necessarily value what he says, and a good test for this is when you hear what the word of God says, if you're out of alignment with it, do you move? Do you move to align yourself with the word of God? If you hear what the Bible says on marriage or on tithing or on our words or on sex or on how we treat people, do you shift? Or do you rather make excuses, make defenses? Do you say that's not for today? That's not for now. That doesn't apply to me. Because if we really respect and revere the word of God, then it will cause us to move. But if it doesn't, then we haven't even begun in our pursuit of wisdom because the Bible says that's where the pursuit of wisdom begins, with the fear of the Lord. I find though that sometimes that our biggest challenge is that we want to spend time with God, we want to pursue wisdom, we want to respect his word, but we just don't have the space. We're a busy people. This is the busiest time in all of history. And so many people are just too busy for a lot of things. Would you agree? Are you busy? I'm busy. I was reading a book and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It'll change your life. You'll hate it slash love it, I promise. It's a good book, but it said that hurry is the opposite of love. Now, when I first read that, I was like, well, no, hate is the opposite of love, right? That's what we're taught. But he challenged his readers and he said, if you're a parent and you're in a hurry and you're trying to get out the door and your kid can't find their other shoe, how do you act? Or how about if they have to run back in because they forgot something? Maybe you're not a parent. So how about if you're running late for work and then there's an accident and the highway shut down? How do you respond? Does it look like love? 1 Corinthians 13 is love is patient. 
I failed right there. Seriously. Love is kind. Love is gentle. No, it looks a whole lot more, for me at least, like frustration and aggravation and snippy tones because I'm in a hurry and I'm busy and I've got to get there. Busyness overcrowds our life. But do you know what? Busy and hurry and overload is mostly self-inflicted. Don't believe me? Make a list of everything you do in a day or even in a week, and I bet you'll find a large portion is not critical to life and your purpose. There's a lot of things that we do, it's because we feel guilty or we feel pressure or we feel exhausted and we don't have the energy to say no. But all of that is crowding our life and taking up space that we could use to pursue wisdom and pursue God. Life will always offer us more than we can handle. There's so many more options than what you could ever do in your life. I used to want to play drums and the piano, and I wanted to learn a foreign language, and right there I'm already over busy. I do none of that because I don't have time. But those are all good things, right? There's nothing wrong with learning a foreign language or an instrument. But we have to be able to discern the difference between good things and God things. What is good and what God really wants us to do. Because I found sometimes when we pick up the good things, we're taking someone else's God thing. I'm not meant to play the drums because there's a bunch of excellent musicians here who can. I don't want to take their God thing, right? And you don't want me to try to take their God thing. But I need to have space in my life so that I can hear what God has to say, where I can hear what he wants me to do and his purpose for my life so I can know those God things for me. Genesis 49:15 says that the sons of Issachar saw that the that rest was good and that the land was pleasant where they chose to live. It says that on purpose they chose a life of rest, a life of peace, a life of slow. And because of that they became a people who were filled with the wisdom of God, highly influential in their land and in their nation because they had space, space to hear God, space to pursue him, space to hear what his voice sounds like. That's a developed skill is to hear the voice of God. You don't get saved and automatically just hear him all the time. We have to tune our ear into him and that requires space in our life. We live in a day where so many people, so many of us, me included, are living our life so much in other people's business. We judge our successes and our failures based on glimpses of what we see, highlights of other people's life, and we say, because they do, can, or are, I'm failing. Or we judge our kids, or we judge our job, or whatever it is. And you know what? They're turning around and doing the same thing. But we need to be listening to God to hear him say, if we're doing a good job. I remember the first time that I got a prophetic word, it was back in 2009. It changed my life, there was a lot of things that were said, but the biggest, most impactful thing he said was God says, I am proud of you. It broke me. I sobbed, I still think of that, 
and I still cry when I think of that moment when for the first time I heard God tell me that he was proud of me because I couldn't hear it for myself because I, my ear wasn't tuned in to hear my life was busy and I thank God that there was someone who created space in their life to hear what God wanted to say so that this girl could receive that and her life could be changed because of it. We should be a people that are doing that. That is our call to the world is to be able to hear God and to be available and positioned in a moment to speak and do what he says to choose the God things and the God moments in our lives. If you give yourself permission to say no, it'll be easier to make space in your life. We have to say no to a lot of things. And I know in our youth, it was, it was really impactful a few months ago that our youth directors, they challenged the kids to fast social media and, and things like that that took up space in their life. And I'm pretty sure that the majority of them at first were like, eh. But then we saw after time went by that they got excited about that. And we saw that God was starting to move in their life. And I'm so glad that there are people around my kids that are challenging them to make space in their life so that they can choose the God things. Because unfortunately, if we don't do that, then they are gonna think that busy is normal. They are gonna keep moving at the pace that they know, not making space and not know that there's anything wrong with that. We have to help our kids be able to create space in their life. Another thing I found that in a world that's so overcrowded, when I do get those moments of space, a lot of times I can't focus. Like, I get in to finally have quiet time, and it's like, I got to plan this and do that, and I forgot to call them, and all of that keeps running through my mind. Just me, no one else. Everybody else has great focus. <laughs> Pastor Matt spoke a few weeks ago, and he talked about how the average American attention span is like eight seconds. Down from 12 from like 20 years ago or something, and the big kicker was that goldfish had an attention span of nine seconds. There's something wrong if we're losing to goldfish. We have to be able to focus. Jesus invites us into the secret place. And that secret place is a place of, of no distraction, of attention on the Father. And that is the place where we pursue him. That is the place where we find wisdom and we're filled with it. I used to think that the secret place was kind of like a soundproof room that was just not in my house. I could never find it. <laughs> hey, you have six kids. It's not often quiet. But I've learned that the secret place can be anywhere where I am going to give God my full attention. This week was a particularly busy week or last week, I keep saying that. Last week was a particularly busy week for me. We had a lot of meetings and things going on, and I was really wrestling with this. I found time, but it was the focus part that I was really having trouble with, and every time I would get a little bit of quiet time, then it was like, oh my goodness, I just can't settle my mind to be able to focus on God and what I needed. 
And so it came, I believe, Thursday, and I kicked my kids outside and locked the door. I'm pretty sure it was cold, but hey, sometimes you got to take one for the team. Um, And I said, that's it. I have got to focus my mind. And so I put on worship music so that I could focus on God. And what I found that as I did that, and as I continued to fight to keep my focus on him, that all of a sudden, answers started to come. Strategy, the planning, it started to come. Not all of it, no. But God started to bring things into alignment in my life because I was seeking him and I was gleaning from the wisdom that he had to offer. In Colossians 3 verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. I had to set my mind on things above instead of thinking of all the things that I needed to plan and do that was coming in the week. I'll tell you, I didn't say this in second service because it's recorded. (laughs) But I'll tell you, first service got a kick out of it. I was so busy and distracted. It was all good things, okay? There's nothing that was bad that was going on. I like to be busy, not this busy. But anyway, so I had a meeting on Tuesday And then I had to come pick up Matt, and then we were going to Jerseyville for another meeting. And so I was late, because I'm usually late. And so I'm rushing here, and I ran in and went to the bathroom. I got in the car, and we drove the hour and 10 or so minutes to Jerseyville. And so by the time I got there, I had to go to the bathroom again. I don't know if it's 40 or if it's water or what it is, but I had to go to the bathroom. But everybody was there, so I hugged everybody and greeted everybody and, you know, all that. And I go to the bathroom. And I didn't zip my pee. I know. I know. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm bending over, and I'm hugging people, and I'm walking in. And I was so busy that I forgot something so basic. It's such a critical moment. And then, as I'm standing there thinking about this, mortified, I realized just a few weeks ago, Matt split his pants in worship and had to go up and preach with split pants. I'm, they are thinking like, what is happening with these two? They're a mess. But sometimes we are so distracted to where we miss the basic things. We miss the little things. And if it doesn't leave you in a place of embarrassment, it might leave you a mess. We have to learn to focus our mind on God. When uh, Matt was planning for the message last week, Um, you always know when he's got a good message going, when he's excited about it, because he's in the other room and he's studying, and you'll hear like, yeah! Yeah. And then a bust out in prayer, some clapping. I mean, it's just out of the blue. Like, nothing else is going on, and then you get that. And so I knew that he was excited about it. I knew it was going to be a good message. And so I was asking him about it, and he started to tell me, and then he handed me his notes. Now, if you've been around here a while, then you probably know that Matt can take a single sentence and he could preach for an hour on it, right? You guys do know him. And so normally his notes are like two or three pages. Mine, if it's four, I'm like, oh man, this might not make it. But for him, it's very short notes. So when he handed me a 12-page stack of notes, I was like, what are you going to do? 
It's like, I don't know. It's not even finished. I'm still getting some more stuff, and I'm somehow going to have to narrow it down, and I'm thinking they're going to be there for two hours. Oh, my goodness. He's going to run into services. And so I was, had a bright idea. I was like, well, this is what we can do. We can make it a series, and since I'm here this week, I'll just preach part of it. You're back the next two. No big deal, right? It sounds simple, except I am a planner, and when I know that I'm going to preach, I start weeks ahead of time. These things, like I plan forever, I study long periods of time, that's who I am, and so I realized come that Thursday that I haven't had any time to really plan. I am stressing out. I can't settle my mind to even focus on it. This message started with him and not even me, and I don't even know where I'm supposed to go with it. And so that was a big part of my panic. But when I was sitting there and I was worshiping, I heard God say, just first begin. Just start. And so I was like, okay. So I started going back through my notes to try to find a starting place. And what I realized is that all of this came out of weeks before of what God was doing in me. I had had notes on pursuing God, and Matt's the one who chose pursuit. But for weeks before, God was doing this work in my life. And he said, daughter, when you pursue me, I am going to have already been filling you and preparing you for what is ahead. This isn't a life like you need something now, so run to me, which we can do that. But it's so much more a life that if you're continually pursuing me with your heart, that you are already going to be ready for situations that come up. When God wants to bring something into your life, he, he will do the work inside of you beforehand. It will already be there. That is an amazing thing that we don't, it isn't like a tease. It isn't like, you know, you, you have to come and run and beg and find it. I want it to be in you already. I want to do this work in you. I want you to be prepared so that you can be like a city on a hill that you can shine for me in the world around you. He is a loving father. He loves us so much that he wants to prepare us. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be secure in what he's calling us to do. Psalm 34:10 says that young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God's promise to us is we seek him that there's nothing good that we will lack. We're not going to miss out on anything. We're not going to be without what we need because we're seeking him and his desire is to fill us. I believe that God is wanting to do a work in the church in this generation. I believe that God is wanting to set us free of the busy that we feel we have to be in. He wants us to have space in our lives so he can fill us, so that we can be a light in this very, very dark world. The world needs us. You can turn on any TV station, any thing around you, and you can see that there is fear and stress and chaos everywhere. The church, and, and when I say the church, I don't mean a building. I mean you. You who love Jesus, who have accepted him into your heart as Lord and Savior, you are the church. It never started with a building. It started with people. 
And he wants to use you to change the world around you, to make an impact that will change lives.